let's see if I remember how to do this. If you've got a Bible nearby, let's go to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to wrap up a series we've done on James, and so I want to take a second and thank all the guys who, come up and, who have come up this summer and preached and brought us through this book. We've never done it this way before. Uh, we split it up uh, accordingly and, and kind of divvied out who was going to teach what, and then every couple of weeks we would meet and we would have a collaborative process of looking through the text, studying it, kind of presenting some things, some ideas, some challenges, and um, n- never done a group you know, sermon prep process before, and so that was kind of fun to, uh, to explore that together and stuff like that, and I, I just thought all the, all the guys were very faithful to, to the text. Uh, I feel like um, we have a good sense of what the book of James is trying to convey and what, what was going on, and so um, I did the first verse, and now I'm going to do the last two. So I got the, like, the best deal when it comes to number of verses covered. Uh, some of these guys have just ridiculous amounts of text, and I have like just barely any at all. So, um, so thanks for letting me begin and end it. Uh, so we're going to look, starting in verse 19 in just a second, but I want to take us through some of, some of the background stuff that we've covered every, every week. Uh, it's been on purpose because we wanted by the end of this for you, uh, those of you who've been here for several weeks and, and you've been here for a lot of this series, to, to be able to walk away and know some things about the background or whatever. So that's why I had them review every single week um, to kind of instill. So hopefully these things are, are getting familiar to you. So let's go through these slides re- re- really quickly. Uh, okay, so, what's, so who, who are we talking about? James the Just. Uh, the, just was on his last name. That was his nickname that he was given because he was, he was like legit. Like there was just nothing fake about him. He was intense. Um, he, so you see he was the leader of the Jerusalem church, brother of Jesus, Something that you may recall about him is that James, so he grew up with Jesus, he witnessed all this stuff. James was, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until the resurrection. So all the teaching, all the miracles, all that stuff, James was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then he watched his brother get slaughtered, die, buried, uh, and then sees him walking around again. And he was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> this is for real. I'm I'm good. And from that point on, he never looked back. And that's why, I mean, James the Just tells you what kind of reputation he had. And he went from not being a Christian, not a follower of Christ, to being the leader of the church in Jerusalem in a relatively short amount of time. And so that's who, that's who James is. Uh, the next one, um, so what, what is this? It's a letter to Jewish Christian house churches that were scattered throughout the region. So in Jerusalem, you had these believers who were there. And you might recall, historically, after the resurrection and after all that stuff happened, there were a, lot of, a, pers- a lot of persecution broke out against Christians. They were being run out of town. And so what was once uh, a family of faith, much like ours, was, was then scattered all, all throughout the region. And so James was their pastor, and he's writing a letter to be circulated as best they can among the, the folks who are living in different places. So... Some of you may recall uh, when Hurricane Katrina came through and all the churches in the southern part of our state and in southern Mississippi and that kind of stuff, they were all pushed all throughout the south, you know, all throughout the country, but a lot of them throughout the south. And a part of the task was locating family, but also locating the people they went to church with and what was going to happen. And so it would be like one of those pastors sending a letter out to all those folks who were scattered around to encourage them and to challenge them and um, just to let them know that they're not forgotten. Um, so that's what, uh, what's going on here. It's a letter written to those folks. Uh, the next thing, we're talking the early to mid-40s, uh, the actual 40s. 
It's considered by some to be the oldest New Testament books. Others say that it's not, there's, you know, whatever. Uh, it's one of the earliest, let's put it that way. So this is happening um, real, like really, really close in, in time to uh, everything with, with all the events of Christ's life and all that kind of stuff. And then um, where we're talking Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all around the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, Europe. So this is just a really broad area where the scatterings were happening, where they were all landing. And here's the last one, what they were talking about. Um, he's trying to pastor them through difficulty with this message. No matter what is going on, live out your faith. No matter what persecution you're facing, no matter what the living conditions are, where you, where you found yourself, no matter, what, uh, no matter how mistreated you are, no matter this, no matter anything, whatever is going on in your life, you live out your faith. It's never an excuse to just sell out or like whatever. And that was, that's what he was pushing them through. And so through the, the book of James, we're able to see some of the issues that he is, is sensing that they're going through. Maybe, maybe the Spirit is showing him some things. Maybe he's hearing some things. Uh, maybe there's just some common sense stuff as a pastor that he's, he's writing to address. And so he ends the letter in what at first seems like the weirdest way to end a letter. You know, like Paul's letters, he always wraps up very eloquently and stuff like that and, you know, much the way that, like, a normal letter would go. And James just ends it. Like, he doesn't, there's no, no, no flowery, like, tell everyone has said hello, you know, grace and peace to you in the Lord and all this kind of stuff. He's just like, hey, do this. That's, that's the summary of what I'm about to read. So anyway, look at 19 and 20. Um, this, is what he, this is the closing. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The end. No love, James. No any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's the way he ends it. He's like, hey, if someone's wandering from the truth, you bring them back. That's a kind of sober ending. And at first I was like, man, that, that's weird. And, I, and then I thought, like, maybe, maybe that's his personality, you know, because he's super abrupt in the rest of the letter. And, but I really think it makes a lot of sense in, in full view of what he's talking about. When, look at 19, when he says, my brothers, he's addressing, that's, a, that's an affectionate term, first of all. Because he's really, he's, he's called them to the table on some stuff. Like he's really, uh, he's pushed them throughout this letter, and yet he calls them my brothers, uh, and he's not just talking to the men. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's general. He's talking to the people he loves. He, this is his, his family. He cares for them deeply. Um, it also tells us that he's, he's talking about the responsibility of Christian community. That what he's about to say is not just for the elders. You know, it's not just for the pastors. It's not just for... Um, the, the really spiritually mature, it's not just for those with certain personalities or certain gifts. He says, my brothers. It's a blanket statement. And what does he say? To the, what does the blanket statement say? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what is the responsibility of, of the community when it comes to living out your faith, when it comes to pursuing holiness, when it comes to following after Jesus, you know, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Him, all the things that, that are involved in what, what we believe life uh, is, is all about in Christ and what He's called us to in Himself and also collectively as a group, 
What is the responsibility when someone has strayed from the truth, when someone is struggling with sins, when there is, are patterns that we see and the things that we're sensing and we're like, what's going on here? What do we do about the fact that, this, that one of our brothers, one of our sisters, one of, one of our family members has strayed? What are we supposed to do? The responsibility for us, we bring them back. That's what we do, we bring them back. So he's charging the community with this responsibility. He's saying it's your responsibility to keep each other centered on the truth. So, what is it, what is this, what do we do with that? You know? I mean, it sounds awesome, right? Like it sounds like, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna live life together, we're gonna hold each other accountable, you know, we're gonna. But you know as well as I do that that doesn't happen that much. It happens some. It happens a lot when people get to like an extreme wandering, you know. That's an awkward part of communal living, don't you think? It's like, like hey, you know, what are you doing? Why, what's going on? But I believe it's something that all of us, we really want that, you know. Like you want to know that people love you enough to tell you what's up. You want to you be a part of something enough to where that kind of care is given, you know. You see it with children a lot, you know, where they're, where they're testing the boundaries with, with parents. They're not testing the boundaries because they, like, want to see what they can get away with, you know. They're testing the boundaries because they want to they wanna see at what, at what point are you going to notice what I'm doing? At, w- at what point are you, as my mom or my dad or whomever, at what point are you going to step in? At w- what does that look like, you know? They're hoping that you step in. I think in community life, I think we want that. I think we want to know. People, people love us enough to tell us what's up. So if we want to, if we want to do this, exactly what, what is it going to take? So I, I put down five things. Three of them, I think, come from, from these verses. Uh, two of them come from uh, just pastoral experience and being a Christian for a while and being a part of Christian community for a while and, and sensing some patterns. So I'm going to give you five things if you're a note taker. There'll be five. Uh, the first one, um, if, if this is going to happen, like if we're going to help each other in wandering from the truth, the first thing that has to happen, you have to know what the truth is. You know, look at what it says in 19. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, well, if you don't know what the truth is, you don't know if someone's wandered from it, Right? You have to know, you have to know the truth if this is ever going to happen. I have to know the truth if this is ever going to happen. So what is the truth? Well, we know that the, the, the truth is Jesus. Like he, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Like that's how he describes himself. Everything about him is true. He's the standard for truth. He's the beginning point of truth. Um, all his words are true. All his actions are true. Everything about him is true. And so what James is really saying is those who have wandered from Jesus... They've wandered from the truth. Uh, they've wandered from their shepherd. They've wandered from their Savior. They've wandered from Jesus Christ himself. And so that's what we're talking about. Um, so we have to know what the truth is if we want to live this out. And so how do we know what the truth is? Well, we look to him. And, and we've spent a whole summer in community groups looking at the word of God um, under this belief that every single word that we have in front of us, that's, it's from Him directly. And it's through people, through a bunch of different people over a long period of time, 
that he ins- inspired the writings and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, we talked about how we got the Bible and how we study it and what holds us back and how different genres impact things and, we, and, and how to process it slowly. You know, we very intentionally put the summer community groups together. And a part of that is to help us come away and be like, man, I, I can know the truth because Jesus wrote a book. And I have it. Like He made sure that I would have it. And in 2013, we're, very, we're just very fortunate to have it and hold it. You know? And this time, it was, things were being circulated and the canon wasn't together. And there's just all this stuff that was there. But, but that, we're not, we don't live then. We live now. And here we have this in front of us. And, um, and so when someone wanders from the truth, we're also saying they're wandering from what the Bible teaches us to be true because Jesus wrote the Bible to show us and let us hold something tangible like this is what's true. And so when someone wanders from the truth of God's Word, they're wanting from Jesus. And so if you and I want to live this part out communally, um, first you have to know when someone is wandering away. Uh, this, uh, this weekend, this, so the past two weeks, like I said earlier, I was in South Africa and it's a part of a team that was there working with local pastors and missionaries in uh, Johannesburg. And, um, there's just so much, you know, and it's... It's, a, it's the first mission trip that I had no, uh, that I didn't, wasn't a part of like putting together and leading that I've been on in a long time. And so uh, it was just really different to be on the field in that, in that sense. And uh, we got to do, there were just so many things. I mean, I be here a long time telling stories. Let me just tell you one that's related to what I'm talking about here. Um, I don't know how much you know about uh, apartheid law in South Africa and uh, Nelson Mandela, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And, I know as, as an American, like I remember when he was, when Mandela was freed, and that was a huge deal, but I had no idea why, you know. And people kept saying like apartheid, and I th- thought that was a word, like a, a phrase or something. I was like, what's apartheid? Like, how you tie it? Do you tie it? Like, I thought it was like a par. Like, I don't know what a par is, and I don't know how it's tied. And like, I was that, like, outside of being familiar with what apartheid law is, and it was Essentially, there was a they legislated um, like racial and like racial boundaries, immigration laws, those kinds of things to kind of basically be like to make sure that white people got all the good stuff, and that if you were not white, then you basically were deprived of a lot of things, and it was uh, segregation and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And so, uh, so that went on for a long time, and. Uh, all that came to an end in like late 80s, early 90s. And uh, so we're talking with this pastor. He's, he's a white uh, South African native pastor. And we're asking him about, you know, so what's it like ministering in a post-apartheid culture? And, and just, very, just very interesting to get different perspectives on things. And um, sounded a lot like, like post-civil like civil rights era stuff here in the States, you know, whatever. Anyway, so someone asked, asked this guy... Um, I said, so what, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about it? And he said, well, unfortunately, he said, I was, I was guilty. You know, he said, I grew up in, he said, I grew up, obviously I'm white, and so I grew up in a very, like, privileged, you know, deal socially and politically. And, and he said, and I was for it because it, it basically uh, opened a lot of doors for me. And he said, I've had a very good life, and I didn't really care that other people didn't have a good life. Um, and... Uh, he didn't say it, you know, he wasn't proud of it at all. He said, that's just something that I have to live with, the fact that, that I, was, I was guilty in all of it. And um, 
And so someone said, well, when did you, when did it switch for you? Like, when did you start to realize, like, hey, this is not right, you know? He said, oh, he said, well, basically, I got saved. He said, as soon as the Spirit of God became, like, like lived inside of me, uh, I began to see apartheid very differently and began to realize that, wait a minute, we're, we're all made in the image of God, we're all equal, and yet we are legislating these differences and we're oppressing and we're creating all this injustice and... and uh, and all that, he said, so really, he said, from the moment I knew Jesus, I knew that this was wrong. And we were all sitting there like, that's so awesome. Because he came in, in like, sync with the truth. So he had wandered from the truth, or he was distant from the truth, distant from Jesus. And as soon as he lined up with him, he saw everything for what it was. And so in order to, to know if someone's wandering from the standard, from who is true, we have to know who he is. And so that's why, a part of why we do what we do. That's why community groups are important. That's why Sundays are important. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. That's why we don't sing some of the songs that we don't sing. That's why we change some of the lyrics on the songs that we do sing, which most people don't know until they go somewhere else and they're like, what's going on? That's why we do all that stuff, because we want to know him. And then when someone, whether it's you or someone else, when someone is wandering, we're able to see that difference and respond to it. So that's the first thing, you have to know the truth. Second thing, um, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. So, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, you've got you to notice the lives around you when people are wandering. And a lot of times we, just, we really don't. We don't pay attention really to the lives of our friends and our families and those we're living in community with. We either, we either don't pay attention because we're so absorbed with ourselves or we pay attention and we judge them or gossip about them or whatever because we're super absorbed with ourselves. And so we have to pay attention to the lives around us. We can't be clueless. We can't be judgmental. We can't be self-absorbed. We have to pay attention in healthy and Christ-centered ways. Which means that we pray. We, we pray for our friends. We pray with our friends. That helps us pay attention to each other's lives when you're interceding and you're bringing them before the Lord. We, we listen deeply. You know, We really listen to what people are saying. We listen between the words a little bit. We listen for tone and inflection and patterns that we see. You pay, we pay attention to those things. Um, we observe their lives. We ask good questions. We refuse to settle for shallow friendships. And we're going to be making some adjustments in our community group time, like what our groups look like when we're together. It's hopefully going to feed into this a little bit more, but, but we need God to help us learn to pay attention to each other and respond. And so if this kind of bringing people back to the truth that God has charged to us, it's, it's a part of our responsibility to each other. It's, it's only going to happen if we know the truth well enough to know when someone wanders away from it. And we're only gonna, it's only going to happen if we're paying attention to the wandering. You watch, we watch each other veer, and we, help, we don't wait till someone's totally like off in left field, or right field, or whatever. Third thing... Uh, we keep the big picture in full view. 
So it says, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, um, this seems a little bit confusing maybe in a sense, but, but look, at, look at really what he's saying. Save his soul from death, cover a multitude of sins. He's talking about being alive and walking in forgiveness. And when someone wanders from Jesus and we bring them back, they find life and they live in the, like the reality of the forgiveness that Jesus provides. So when we think wandering, like think of not abiding. Think of a branch that's been cut off from the trunk. The branch falls to the ground, and what happens immediately? It immediately begins to wither. You don't see it at first, but you just wait a little while. Or like when you like when you cut your grass, you know, and it throws the grass or whatever, and it's all green, and then like ten minutes later, it's like white. It has to be connected. It has to be connected. And so when, when you and I, when we know the truth, and we're paying attention, and we see someone veer away, and God uses us, we intervene, and we bring them back to Him. There's life, there's the reality of the forgiveness that Jesus provides, there's that restoration, reconciliation, like all the goodness that's there. We have to keep that big picture in mind, because it's an act of love to sit someone down and say, hey, I've been, I've been sensing this with you, I've been hearing this pattern or whatever. I've noticed this behavior of, of yours. I've noticed that uh, your conversations tend to go this way when they used to go this way. I've noticed, I've noticed, I've noticed. It's an act of love. You're bringing them back to life and reality with Jesus. So you know what? It's worth the awkward. It's worth it. If you keep the big picture in mind, you see it like, no, no, this is the most loving thing that I can do is have this intervention moment with them. Not like 20 people around a room intervention, just like, hey, can we go get coffee? Or, hey, let me talk to you real, real quick. Or send them an email or like whatever, whatever it needs to look like. It can't, we can't avoid it just because it's awkward. We have, to lose, we have to keep the big picture in mind that that's what's happening. They've drifted away from Him. God's using us as community to bring them back to Him. And so whatever weirdness there is, you push through it. You push through it. Because he's, Jesus is worth it, and they are worth it. And whatever awkward is there, it's just not a big deal. But if you lose sight of that big picture, then, oh, that's the worst thing ever. Is like, oh, it would be so uncomfortable. I won't know what to say. Keep the big picture in mind. You're like, no, that's definitely what I want to do. So, you know the truth. You pay attention. You keep the big picture in mind. The fourth thing... Um, is you ask the Lord, okay, what, is, what does goodness look like? What does goodness look like? Because there's, a, there's a, a right way to bring somebody back to, to Jesus, basically. There's a right way, and there's a super destructive way. And you probably don't know, so you have to come to Him as your true vine and say, okay, I need, I need some wisdom in this. I need to know how to have this conversation. I need to know what to say and how to say it and when to say it and... And you come to him and you ask for his guidance and helping. Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love. And so that's one of my pastoral observations is that has to be a part of it. You know, you ever hear people, people almost get like militant about discipleship and they're like, I want someone who they'll call me out. It's like, do you? 
Is that what you want? Or do you just want someone who will love you enough to tell, like, just sit you down and speak the truth to you in love? And not just call you out and walk away, but someone who's going to like, help lead you back to Him and walk beside you through that. And Do you want someone who loves you deeply like that? That's what you really want. Nobody wants someone to sit down. I want someone who will sit across the coffee table from me and yell at me because I hadn't had a quiet time. Yeah. Nobody wants that. That's not what James is advocating. He said, no, you lovingly and truthfully bring them back. And so there's a right way to do that. Jesus will help you. Like, he really will. Like, you ask him, like, Lord, I need your help. I don't know how to do this. And he'll lead you forward himself. Sometimes you seek, you seek wisdom from other people. You, you, find, you find those around you who are wise, and you say, hey, I need some advice in this, some Christ-centered advice, some prayer-driven advice. That's the fourth thing you have to ask God. What does goodness look like for this person in this? Okay? Here's the last one. Point number five. It's two words. The first word is cowboy. The second word is up. You have to cowboy up. You, just, you cannot be a wuss in this. You cannot be weak. You cannot be afraid. Passivity has, has just, it has destroyed us from Adam and Eve looking at that tree. His passivity got us into this. And it has been a problem for a long, long time. Is that we're scared of, of losing someone's approval or making things uncomfortable. We're scared of all this stuff that's just completely ridiculous. And a lot of times the result is, is a mediocre following of Christ in a very shallow community and we just kid ourselves into thinking that that's abundant life. And James is like, no, that's not it. That's not it. Say, my brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, you got to bring them back. And remember that when you bring them back, you're bringing them back to life. You're saving them from death. You're bringing them back and you're letting them walk in forgiveness and restoration and all the goodness that we know Jesus is. So that's what we are supposed to be doing for each other. For them, James covers things like, like your actions not lining up with your faith. And he covers things like racism and looking down at people who don't have as much money and stuff as you do. And worldliness and pride. And he's saying, no, 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 you, when you do that, you're wandering. Come back to him and see humility. Come back to him and see the, the folly of worldliness and the, the beauty of our Savior. See the, the empowerment of godly, godly wisdom. See how stupid earthly, worldly wisdom is and come to Him in these things. He's, the whole letter, He's saying, live out your faith and you do that by not wandering but returning and staying there and helping each other stay there. And every one of you, every one of us wants that. That's what we want so much. If you're not willing to cowboy up and make it happen, then, then it's not going to happen. And it can't be seven or eight people cowboying up and everybody else being like, you go, guys. Like, it's all of us. It's all of us together. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to bring forward some changes that are, going to, that are going to be good in our community group time and kind of some structural things and whatever. And you'll just have to come back in a couple of weeks and hear what that's all about. But all this is really like pointing us back to like, hey, don't ever leave Jesus. Just don't ever leave him. And so I don't know where this fits into like, your life and where things are right now. 
Um, maybe it's about not knowing the truth very well. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, I, I'm just terrible at paying attention to the lives of the people I love the most. Um, but maybe you're the one who's wandered. You know, like maybe you're like, uh, this is not about me taking care of other people. This is about me uh, being like super, having like just way drifted away from the truth and who he is. The beauty of all this is there's not a like six month process of returning to the Lord. Like it's, it's immediate. There's no lag time with this. He's like, come on back, come back right now. Just like you are. You don't have to get all your stuff together. You don't have to get your ducks in a row. You don't have to like fix all this stuff and then come to me. He's like, just like you are. You just zip, come right back to me. Abide in me. Uh, you won't stay as you are, but you can come as you are. You won't stay like that, but you can. You can come to me just like this. And that's what James is pushing his people to just trust him. Stay connected to him. And I believe the Spirit through this text is pushing us in the same direction. And so if, you've, if you're the one who's wandered, uh, it doesn't take an intervention of all your friends to come back. Jesus will do that himself. Let's pray. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this uh, reality. And that we don't have to... Like beg and plea and twist your arm and get our behavior just right and whatever. Like our kids sang in the beginning, you love us when we're good, you love us when we're bad. And we know that it, just like they said, it does make you sad for us because you see us living apart from you. You see us carrying burdens and you see us, you see us like that severed branch on the ground that's just withering and that's not how you designed us and but we thank you that we thank you that you pick us up and you reattach us. I mean, we we want it, but you're the one who does it, and you reattach us to you, and your life begins to flow into us. And there is nourishment, and there is peace, and there is goodness again. And so, Lord, we we need your help. And so, um, applying this is going to land in a bunch of different places, Lord, but. Um, for those who are the ones who have wandered, I pray that, that you would just whisper to them just the, the goodness of their shepherd, uh, that you are welcoming them, and uh, that that confession and repentance and that returning is it's where life is. And so we thank you that you have already died to cover those sins, our wandering and You've covered that. And knowing full in full the details of all that stuff, you still died to cover those sins that we could be one with you. And so we thank you that you are good even when we are just so weird sometimes. Uh, thank you for being consistent and faithful. And As we sing, God, I pray that, that there would just be a really good returning and, and uh, reconnecting to you uh, through this. We love you very much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just sing a little bit. And let's return to him no matter, no matter what's going on. Let's just return to him.